If you would like to borrow a Bible, raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible and you can just leave it on the pew when you are done. Continue, want to remind you to not show up here next week. We will be at the Warrington Hotel at 10 o'clock. Should be a lot of fun. I don't assume that you just come here on Sunday morning and you're completely intact. There may be something going on with you emotionally or circumstances or whatever. So I'm not making the assumption that things are all cheerful for you this morning. We just sung this uh, song, the desert song, um, and the woman who recorded it uh, recorded it basically uh, a few days after she, her, her baby died. Uh, her baby uh, was born uh, early and lived about a day and then died. And um, here she comes and she records this song about singing praise to God. I've uh, I've been a bit more reflective this week than normal and just thinking about you and our lives together. I've, I've been here about eight years and one of the benefits of staying in one place for a long time is you get to share one another's joys, but you also get to share one another's uh, burdens and see the sufferings that, that, that we go through. And, and all of us go through it. Like if I close my eyes right now and played this little game where I just kind of just landed it on one person, right? And I met with that person for a year every week. I would learn about all their past sufferings and hardships and walk them week through week with the things that they're dealing with, that we just deal with in life. And I would want to encourage them to press on. And, and some of you are at that spot right now where you need the encouragement to, to press on, to endure, to keep going, to know that Christ has not left you. He's not forsaken you. And, and there's a lot of words that we can give to comfort one another and encourage one another when we suffer. We can, we can say things like, God is sovereign. He's in control. He's working for your good. He's not forsaken you. He's loved you. Jesus can sympathize with you and your weakness. There's a lot that we can, we can, we can pile on to encourage one another to press on and to endure in Jesus. But I do think there is one way to encourage one another to persevere that we, that we often leave out. Like, when was the last time someone was going through something and, and you said to them, look, I'm sorry you're going through this hard time. I really feel what you're going through and I'm sorry what's going on, but I just want to encourage you. Jesus is coming back. I know the pain that you're enduring is tough, but guess what? It's going to end when Jesus returns. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the return of Christ, the end times, the end of the world. And, and I don't want you to think that it's just a time to get down your facts and figures and charts and stats. But this is a real event that's going to happen that we can encourage one another in the present to endure, to persevere, to press on, longing for the return of Jesus Christ. And I would love for our church to be a church culture that really kept pointing each other to the return of Christ. He's coming back. He's coming back. This is real. He is real. And that would encourage us to press on. So over the next few weeks, take notes. Think about the details. If you're into charts, make charts. But remember, 
It's something we're supposed to long for in our heart, the return of Christ, and encourage one another to press on until we see him face to face. Let's get started. Matthew chapter 24. Going through the book of Matthew. We've come to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 23, just to set a little context here, Jesus just gave the seven woes. Remember that last week, the seven woes and pronouncements of doom upon the religious leaders. And he, he ended it at the very end um, in verse 23, verse 38, chapter 23, 38, said, See, your house is left to you desolate. He's talking about the impending destruction of Jerusalem for rejecting their Messiah. So now we move into chapter 24, and Jesus is leaving the temple area, and his disciples turn into tourists. That's right, tourists. Look at verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. They're impressed. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So they are leaving the temple, and maybe from a distance they are admiring this massive reconstruction project of the temple by the great Herod. As he's building and reconstructing this massive temple, and they're admiring the stones. And Jesus tells them clearly that the temple will soon be destroyed. And it was. Not too long after that, in A.D. 70, the Romans came in under the leadership of Titus, and they sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. If you go to Israel today, it's not there. It's gone. There's just a little portion remaining, not much of anything. It's, it's gone. But while the disciples were living here with Jesus, the temple is still standing. And so they want an explanation. Look at verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples wait till they're, they're further away from the temple, and they're on the Mount of Olives, and they ask Jesus two questions. They ask him, when? And they ask him, what? When will the temple be destroyed and the end come? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And it's a question that people are asking all the time. When and what? There is this group of uh, people, the board of directors, who have created something of, uh, of the bulletin of atomic scientists. They've, they've created something called the doomsday clock. Have you heard of this? Um, maybe you have, maybe if you're not. It's, it's this symbolic clock. It fascinates me. It's maintained by the board of directors of the bulletin of atomic scientists at the University of Chicago. Now, what, what's going on here? is they move the hand closer to midnight 
um, which would be the destruction of the world based upon events that happen, mainly, specifically, nuclear war events. So, for example, in 1947, when it it began, it was initially set at 11.53. Symbolically, the uh, the, the world had about seven more minutes left. And the closest it's ever been to midnight was at 1953. They moved it to 11.58, two minutes till the end of the world. And this was based uh, upon the U.S. and the Soviet Union testing their nuclear devices. But with the end of the Cold War, it went all the way back down to 11.50 and all the way down to 11.43 with the signing of an arms reduction treaty. But get this. The doomsday clock was reset about two weeks ago. I don't know if you paid attention to this. But on January 10th, it was reset. And you may wonder where we're at now. Well, according to these people, we are at 11.55. We got about five minutes before it's all over with. And according to them, we're at 11.55 because of the lack of inaction on nuclear weapons or inaction in climate change. So there... These, this board of directors are trying to, in, in some sense, determine when on the timing of the end of the world and what, what's the sign that's going to indicate that the end is going to come. And that's the question the disciples are asking Jesus. When? Well, when's this going to happen? And what's the sign to indicate you're coming? Is there some way you can tip us off that it's all about to end. And, you know, wouldn't you like to know the answer? Wouldn't you love to ask Jesus, when is it going to all wrap up? And tip me off a little bit, give me the sign. Wouldn't you like to know the answer to that? I, I hope so. Because what we're going to have here now is Jesus' answer to those two questions known as the Olivet Discourse. You're like, why is it called that? Well, because he's on the Mount of Olives and he gave a discourse. So you got it? All of that discourse. And he's going to respond to these questions. And what he's going to do, he's going to correct their misunderstandings. And then he's going to tell them what it's going to be like for the end. You see, the disciples, this is what they think. Stick with me here. This is what the disciples say. The disciples think that once Jerusalem is invaded and the temple is destroyed... They think that as soon as those events happen, Jesus is then going to be reigning on a throne in Jerusalem. They don't have it all figured out yet. They just think that once Jerusalem's sacked, then bam, then Jesus is going to be set up as the reigning Messiah. The the enemies are going to be conquered. He's going to usher in peace while he is reigning. And and Jesus is, 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 is going to answer the question to correct some of their misconceptions. He's not going to tell them when just yet. We've got to come back next week. If you want to know more of the when answer, come back next week. We'll talk more about the when, the timing of the end of the world. But today, he's mainly going to answer and clarify the what. So don't get lost here. What he's going to do is a little confusing uh, if, if, you're, if, you're, if, you, if you miss a part of this. Don't miss this part right here. Look, he is going to mesh the events He's going to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's also going to talk about his second coming and the end of the world. 
He's going to mesh these events. So he's going to be talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the, and the temple, and he's also going to be talking about his second coming. And, and, and think of it this way. This may be a terrible way to explain it, but think of it almost as in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple is a preseason game. And then his second coming is like the big Super Bowl. It's like a big event. This, this smaller event, though large for the disciples, is foreshadowing. It's pointing ahead to this larger end-of-the-world event. So Jesus' answer kind of just meshes and, and combines the two of those together in some perfect way in his explanation. So hopefully that will help you a little bit. But the disciples need this. They need this teaching because not, not too long from now... Jerusalem will be sacked, the temple will be destroyed, and they're going to be like, where's Jesus? We thought that once all this stuff got destroyed, he'd be reigning, but he's not. Where's he at? So they need this truth, or they're going to be very discouraged. And I would say, we need this truth, because events will happen in this world that you will think, it cannot possibly get any worse but where's Jesus? Have you ever known anybody that will tell you, because this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening, Jesus is coming back next year, and then he doesn't come back. So we need to be very careful. We need to listen to what Jesus says, because if we don't listen to him, things will get so bad in our life, and we'll think, surely Christ is going to come back now, and then he doesn't, and you get discouraged. So let's Pay attention. This is going to be so cool. He's going to tell us things that are generally going to happen throughout his first coming and his second coming. These are the general events that are going to happen in the world. And he's also going to give us specific events that are going to happen to Christians before his second coming. So those are the two things we're going to deal with today. Tell me some general world events before Christ comes back, and what are some specific things that are going to happen to Christians before he comes back? Those are the two questions we're going to answer today. So let's start off with the general world events. What is generally going to happen between Christ's first coming and second coming? And it starts in verse 4 and 5 with false Christ is the first one. Look at verse 4. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So before Jesus comes back again, there are going to be many of these false Christs who are going to come in, and they are going to claim that they are the Messiah. Maybe they'll say, I'm Jesus, and I'm back. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, have you ever thought about when you think about end times? If you ever wondered, I wonder if Jesus came back and he only revealed himself to a few people and he's, some people he's not telling. And so one day when you're taking the train into the city and you're on the train, you're like, and you bump into Jesus. Here he is. Not possible. Don't be deceived. Jesus, when he comes back, it will be clear to everybody. Let me read a verse to you. We'll see actually next week. But verse 30 says, uh, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So when Jesus comes back, it's going to be obvious 
to every single living creature on this earth. It will be obvious. So don't think that when you hear about some false messiahs, that, that is, is, that's Jesus. And, and, and for some of you, you're thinking, well, you would never be deceived. But each generation has false messiahs coming along, deceiving many. And guess who is the most susceptible to deception? Young people. Young people get all excited. They want to join movements, and they want to be excited about protest. And then along comes a false messiah. You join a cult, and your mom and dad give me a call and say, help. Do not be deceived. When Jesus comes back, you'll know. He hasn't come back yet. Do not follow false Christ. They're going to keep coming until he comes back the second time. They'll be out there. Do not be deceived. So not only false Christs are going to be around, but there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Look at verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In your lifetime, there have been wars, and there's going to be many more to come, and there's been rumors of wars, and there will be many more rumors of wars to come, but do not be alarmed because God is still sovereign. Until Jesus comes back again, there's going to be many more wars. But God is still on the throne. Do not be alarmed. Do not be deceived. The end is not yet. So generally, there's going to be false Christs. Generally, there's going to be wars and rumors of war. And the next is there's going to be famines and earthquakes. Verse 7. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Acts 11. There was a famine. And there will be many more throughout history and earthquakes. Just over the last two years, we've had a famine in East Africa. We've had earthquakes in Haiti and Japan that have been devastating. But don't be alarmed. Not yet. Jesus kind of gives us a way to understand all these events. Look at verse 8. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So false Christ and wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes are the beginning of birth pains. Like when a a woman goes into labor, it indicates that she's going to have a baby. But when a woman goes into labor, very few of them like go into labor and then bam, there's the baby. I mean, how many of you, you don't have to raise any hands because I know it's a very painful experience, but some of you have been in labor for an awfully long time, right? It can go on for a while, and it's very painful, and it's, sometimes it can be false labor, but it's, it's, it's something that could last for a while. And I think the same with the, these events that have been happening throughout the, the, between the, the first coming of Christ and the second. They're not pointing to the exact timing of his return, but they remind us. He's coming back. So when you hear about an earthquake, or if you hear about a famine, about a war, you hear about false Christs, you hear about mass suicides following these false messiahs, you know what? It's to remind you, these are the birth pains. It should remind you Jesus is coming back. These are some of the indicators. Now, if Jesus says, don't be alarmed by these things, the end is not yet, then how come there are preachers and there are teachers that will get on TV or on the Internet right after an earthquake, right after the announcement of some war in the Middle East, 
and tell you, Jesus is coming back. When he specifically says he's not coming back, on, on those things are not clear indicators of timing, then why is it that preachers do that? Indeed, they seem to be going against what Jesus said. So why do you think they do that? Well, I think part of the answer is, is that they believe that as we draw closer to the return of Christ, there is going to be an intensification of these events. They believe that the closer and closer we get to Christ's return, there's going to be lots and lots of earthquakes, lots and lots of famines, lots and lots of wars, and it's going to intensify until he comes back. So, so what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, you know what? In some sense, I agree. But let me qualify that. I agree that there will be an intensification, but it's an intensification that is massive. Like the scale of these earthquakes and wars that the book of Revelation talks about before Christ's return are just massive. And the destruction is just everywhere. And so I would not ever want to make predictive timings upon events that I see happening in the world right now, because I don't think we're supposed to do that. But do understand, according to Revelation, there is going to be some devastating events. But for now, don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. These events will be happening throughout history, leading up to the return of Christ. So, so far, we have no specific signs of his uh, return, but we've seen the general events of what we can expect in the world. But the next question I want to ask is, what can we expect as Christians? As Christians, what can we expect to happen to us before the return of Jesus? Now, before I answer that question, I feel, boy, this whole week I, I felt so strongly before I answer that question to really hit verse 14. Because we have a specific sign. I know some of you want some specific sign. Here is a specific sign uh, before Christ comes back. It's in verse 14. Worldwide gospel proclamation. Look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So this, this gospel that we proclaim of Jesus' kingdom, his reign, that basically our message is, look, people are sinners. God is holy. And the only way that sinners can be reconciled to holy God is if God sends his son, Jesus Christ, which he did, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for sinners, was buried, rose again. And the message is, if we repent of our sins, put our faith in Jesus Christ, we get his righteousness counted to us, our sins forgiven, and we're accepted by a holy God. Now, our, our, our job now until Christ's return is to go throughout the whole world and tell the nations about this wonderful, reconciling love in Jesus. It's to be our part as we proclaim it by God's grace and power. But Jesus says... He says specifically that this gospel is going to be proclaimed throughout the nations, talking about probably the people groups of the world, and then the end 
will come. doesn't mean every individual is going to hear or be converted, but it's going to be proclaimed, and maybe it's, it, that's, that's soon. Maybe, it, I mean, doesn't mean that, we, that Jesus couldn't come back today. He could come back today. I mean, we just don't know. Maybe, maybe that, that, that message has gone out. But the reason why I'm bringing this up and the reason why I'm harping on this is because that's what the disciples were all about. Don't think the disciples are hanging in a back room being all passive and say, okay, he said he's coming back. Where is he? They are actively engaged in gospel proclamation and disciple making. Actively engaged as they are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And I'm, the question I have before we do any more verses is to ask you, is that a priority in your life? Where you are preaching the gospel, telling others about Christ, and making disciples. Is that a priority in your life? Because I, I, I strongly believe that everyone in here who claims to be a Christian, who claims to be a follower of Christ, every single person in here, is that I really think that gospel proclamation and disciple-making should be what you're about. I mean, you can be a, 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 a mom or a, a businesswoman or both, or you can be a, an engineer, you can be a doctor or a lawyer, or you can be a pastor or you're a student, a grad student. I don't know what your role in life, but when it's all said and done, like part of your priority and kind of one of your main emphasis and something that we all have in common is that we all should be about telling others about Jesus and making disciples. So let's just say your thing is um, caring for those who are trafficked or caring for widows or you're passionate about caring for orphans or you're really passionate with politically, uh, political stuff. Or you're, you're just, but even though those are your specific passions and gifting, at the end of the day, your, your overriding emphasis and priority and goal as Christians is, is to tell others about Jesus, to proclaim the gospel. And this is what the disciples were about. And, and I'm asking you, is this your priority? I'm not asking you to come up here and preach sermons or to lead Bible studies, but I'm just asking you, are, is there even one person in your life that you're praying for to know Jesus? Is there one person in your life that you're trying to actively share the gospel with? Is there one person in your life that you're really just trying to disciple? Because it looks like, if I'm reading the Bible correctly, that's what we're to be about until he comes back. Yes, we have other responsibilities. Yes, we do other things. But when, well, the thing we have in common is that we want people to come to Christ. And we want to proclaim Jesus. And if you don't understand that, if you don't get that now, the rest of the verses we read will not make any sense. It just won't make sense to you. Like, well, why are they having such hard times? It's because they're proclaiming Jesus. So now let's look at the rest of the verses that we have on what we can expect as Christians as we are actively engaged in proclaiming Christ and making disciples. Verse 9, persecution of Christians. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. <laughs> it's like, why? Why would the world do this to the disciples? Why would they hate them 
and kill them. Why? It's because they're passively in a back room waiting for Jesus to come back. No, no, no. They're actively engaged in proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. All they had to do was shut their mouths, not share the gospel, and they would be fine. There wouldn't be any hatred. There wouldn't be any killing. Just keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody. I think one of the reasons that we do not face more opposition in our culture It could be because we're not proclaiming Jesus. We're not actively seeking to make disciples. I'm not talking about being annoying. I'm talking about maybe we're not facing persecution like the early church because we're just just not out there. And I know you'll push back and say, yeah, we live in America. We're such a tolerant country. But let me ask you this. If Jesus lived in America, would he be persecuted? Or do you think he would just have like a a talk show like Oprah or something? Like, come on with Jesus while he interviews you and tells you nice and happy thoughts. I, I personally think if Jesus lived in America right now, he would be persecuted. I really do. Because he wouldn't shut his mouth. He'd be speaking. And I think that as we speak and as we tell people with love, that we love them, we share the gospel, I think we'll have more of this fellowship and this partnership in the sufferings of Christ and the persecution of Christians. So we can expect persecution until he comes back. If you have people bearing down on you because of your faith, Jesus says that's going to happen until he comes back. But press on. The second thing that's going to happen until he comes back, it's very sad, it's probably the saddest one, is many abandoning the faith. Verse 10 And many, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Mm. But since the time Jesus ascended till he's coming back, many people are going to fall away from Jesus. It's happened throughout history. It it happens today. Maybe people you love or or have had a relationship in the past that used to follow Jesus. Maybe people even shared Christ with you. Maybe people even led you to the Lord. Have, have abandoned the faith. And that is a, is a, very, it's a very sad thing because it says here that some people won't only just abandon the faith, but they're going to start betraying you and start railing against Jesus. It's like, whoa, that, that's, that's pretty heavy duty. But just, just know that it, before Christ comes back, some will abandon the faith. And out, I'm, out of a group this size... It may be some of you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're, you're close to, to being done. And Jesus said, this is going to happen until he comes back. People are going to bail. But obviously he's given this warning so it won't be his followers. And so that's why we're giving this warning so it will not be you. Let's keep going. There's also going to be false prophets And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Not just false Christ, but false prophets. They're going to come and they're going to speak. And and I don't want you to think of just cults. I want you to think of also false prophets um, infiltrating churches. I I know many of you are not from Evanston and and you just assume that Evanston is a, is a, a city full of churches. And so it must be very religious. 
must be very Christian, but, but, but not necessarily. Because many of the churches that are around here, they don't, they don't preach Jesus. In fact, they, they preach against Jesus by meshing other religions, by downplaying sin. And, and Jesus says, that's going to happen. That's going to happen until he comes back. And, it, and it's hard. If you're out there trying to share Jesus with others and make disciples, and you have these other Christians or other churches preaching a different message, that, that can be pretty discouraging. And Jesus says, look out. It's going to happen. There's going to be false prophets until he comes back. The next thing that's going to happen is the love will grow cold. Verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased... The love of many will grow cold. So the world is, you know, it's going it's to grow more wicked. And love for God and love for others will grow cold. But this is what we're going to face. Don't think that when we're going out and we're sharing Jesus with other people and, we're, and, and we think that they're all, it's all going to be this great reception. And you say, well, if the, the love of most is going to grow cold, how can anybody ever be saved? Well, because God is working on people's hearts. He's bringing people to life still. But on a whole, the love of most will grow cold. I remember really feeling this when I moved. Uh, my wife and I moved from Dallas to Los Angeles many years ago, and I, I was really struck by the increase in wickedness. And I thought, wow, how is Los Angeles more wicked than Dallas? It's, and I think it could just be the more people, the more wickedness. That's what we were experiencing. And as we would reach out to people, we're really shocked by just the hardness. And, and just to be uh, kind of extreme, some of the people we were trying to reach out to, I've told some of this story before, some people, we actually had, people were trying to reach out, we had two people um, that we knew uh, were murdered. And we actually had a murderer in our house. People were trying to reach out to. I remember this one guy I was discipling and building into, and not too long after that, he was murdered and stuffed in his trunk. I'm thinking, where am I? What is going on? Trying to reach out to people and just just violent things are happening. And as you move out into the world, it might not be as extreme as that. But there is a coldness. There is a hardness that is that is that's barrier to the gospel. And when you move out, we just know that what we're facing, once we proclaim the gospel, we're totally dependent upon the Lord to break through that hardness. And, and, and you think, well, this is kind of discouraging, you know. You're going to have famines. You're going to have earthquakes. You're going to have wars, rumors of wars, false Christs. Christians are going to be persecuted. Many are going to abandon the faith. And the love of most will grow cold. And you think, well, that's really discouraging. And that's why Jesus gives this exhortation in verse 13 to press on. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a lot of things to make you fall away there, but the one who endures the persecution, the false prophets, the wickedness, people bailing on the faith, will be saved. And I don't want this verse to trip you up, but to encourage you. And I want to say that that by God's grace, those who are true believers will persevere until the end and meet Christ face to face and be saved from all these tribulations. Those who are True believers will persevere till the end. But it's not a passive endurance. It's not like I sit back and go, I'm going to be saved. I'm a true believer. No, it's not a passive endurance. It's an active engagement. 
We don't say, well, God's just going to persevere me and those who believe, so we can just sit back as a church and, and do nothing. No. It's an active endurance. We step out. We believe that he is working in this world, and we actively engage in the work of God and gospel proclamation until he comes back. I really see that in the disciples. I really see that in the early church. They're doing something. They're not just sitting around. They're actively engaged. They're enduring through the persecution and suffering by his grace until he comes back. This is not passive. This is why I get concerned for some of you. You just seem very passive in your Christian life. You barely make it to church. Some of you are not involved in community with your brothers and sisters. You can't remember the last time you read the Bible or even prayed. You're not praying for people to know Jesus. You're not investing in anyone. You're, you're just passive. And, 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 and you, you come to me and you say, you know, Pastor Jason, I just feel really cold. I feel, I feel like I'm just kind of coasting. I feel like I'm about to fall away from the faith. I'm having doubts. Uh, I, I feel like I'm not enduring. And you're wondering if God is real, if Jesus is real. And, and, and it's because you're passive. It's not that you can't struggle through those things, but if you're just passively just sitting back and saying, well, whatever, I fear your endurance then. I fear that if you're just coasting along, not actively engaged, that this is a message to you. The one who endures the end will be saved. And yes, by God's grace, you will. But it's not something you just sit back and do nothing. As I read this passage, as I read the Bible, Jesus is calling for an active endurance for a community of these disciples, of you who are actively engaged in the work of the Lord, of proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, encouraging those who are suffering, caring for others in compassion, and you keep doing these things, and you're just getting pounded by evil, pounded by the world, pounded by suffering, but you're enduring. Because why? Jesus is coming back. And you're longing for him. And you're looking for him. And you can endure the suffering and the pain because he is coming back. He will return. He will deliver us from this physical suffering. And I'd love to see that become a part of our culture. Become a part of our church culture as we are so engaged in the gospel work, just like the disciples were. And we're suffering and we're pressing through by his grace and by his power. We're going to be longing for the return of Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer for you and us as a church in the coming weeks. That that will become part of our vocabulary, part of our heart's longing for the return of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray if there's any of my brothers and sisters in here who've just kind of checked out or become passive or just not engaged, just don't care, and they're having doubts and they're faltering in their faith and they're not enduring, they just, they just don't care. I just, I just ask you to show them that, that you're returning. There is grace. There is forgiveness. There is love that you are real. And I just ask that you would take their, their passive, uh, apathetic hearts and that you would fill them with a vision of endurance, of active endurance, of being all in serving the Lord. And Lord, I just ask that we would be all in in gospel proclamation, be all in 
and making disciples. This is the work we're to be about. This is what is going to happen throughout the world, and then the end will come. So, Lord, we long for you. We long for your return. Please create a culture among us in our church where we're longing for you. We're speaking to one another words of endurance and perseverance with our eyes on you and saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen.